The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And Lord willing, today we're going to look at verses 8 through 16. Now, I realized as I was coming into the pulpit that I have not set my watch back yet, or well, set it forward yet. So according to my watch, it is uh, 9.55. So if I can go to 11.45, I'm in good shape, right? Um, and honestly, and I'll scare some of you, but honestly, with the text that we're going to look at today, there is so much in this text that I will not be able to deal with everything here. I'm not planning to take longer than I normally do. But I want you to know going into this text that I am uneasy today. I'm extremely uneasy today about this text because here's why. This text deals with divorce and marriage and remarriage. And uh, I'm uneasy because uh, I know that so many of you sitting out there have been affected, impacted by divorce in one way or another. Some of you are divorced Remarried. Some of you are right now contemplating divorce. Some of you are single and looking maybe to marriage one day, but wondering, why should I get married? Because you watched your parents go through tragic circumstances of divorce. And there's just, I mean, it just opens so many different emotions. Some of you get angry when you hear the word divorce. Some of you, it wells up emotion of sadness and bitterness. And so I'm, I'm uneasy for that reason. I want you to know at the outset that my intention today is not, it's not to hurt any of you. It's not to stand up here as a preacher with a bully pulpit and hurl stones to make you leave this place today feeling guilty and horrible about yourself. Um, my own mother-in-law, um, when, when she and... Lana's dad were divorced. Lana's uh, mom and dad were divorced when she was 16 years old, remarried when she was 17 years old, and divorced again when she was 18 years old. Uh, so all through high school, uh, Lana's life was uh, just a roller coaster of watching this thing of divorce. And um, we watched, uh, one, one of the reasons that Lana's mom is not in church today is largely because of how she was treated in the church. She was shunned. She was alienated. She was made to feel as someone who was less than, not worthy to be there. And historically, the church has done a few things. Historically, the church, when it comes to divorce, has largely ignored the problem. Uh, today, we, we know statistics show us that, that roughly about one out of every two people or couples that get married will divorce. And that's not only true out there in the world, but it's also true for those who are uh, stated believers, Christians who were in the church. Uh, and so we've, for years, largely ignored the problem. I mean, think about it. When's the last time you heard a sermon on divorce? Uh, we're, we're quick to talk about uh, things like homosexuality and those things that we, we feel like the majority of the people will agree with us is sin and wrong. But when it comes to saying something like divorce is sin and wrong, we stray away from it and we can't do that anymore. Historically, the church has ignored the problem of divorce. Historically, the church has isolated those who get divorced, put them out, or, or maybe not put them out, but, but put them on the fringes. And, and we've, we've um, 
We've isolated the people and we have insulated ourselves because largely for those of you who are going through a divorce or been through a divorce and you feel isolated in the church, a lot of times it's because the people around you don't know what to say. They don't know how to be. They don't know what to do. They want to care for you, but they, they're afraid they're going to say the wrong thing. And for, for a lot of them, they've been friends with uh, you and your spouse. And so they don't want to be guilty of taking sides. And so this just sort of plays out as them appearing to isolate you and insulate themselves. Um, the, other, the other side of that is that, that though that you definitely feel isolated and shunned, and for many you've walked away from the church, and maybe there's somebody in the church sitting in this room today that you've come back to the church, you're just trying things out again because you were hurt at some point when you went through a divorce or something connected with a divorce, and you think, man, I can't get away from it. Here, this preacher's now going to preach about it. My intention is not to hurt you. It's not to hurt any of you. I love you. I want you. To, I don't say that enough to you, but as your pastor, I love you as a congregation. I love the fact that God's called me here to pastor and to preach to you, to, to shepherd you. I love you. I don't want to hurt you, but nor do I want to shy away from confronting you with the truth. I don't want to show you hate by holding the truth back from you. You hear me? Because in the church, what we're called to do is we are called to comfort one another with love, but we're also called to confront one another with the truth. And both of those things are loving. Uh, so, with that being said, let me, let me give you a little bit. Let me, let's read the text, and then we'll, I'll give you context, and we'll go from there. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 8. To the unmarried and the widows, I say... That it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married I give this charge. Not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. Let me just pause there in the reading and tell you a couple of things. Number one here, when when Paul says, not I, but the Lord, and later on, down in verse 12, he's going to say, I, not the Lord, he's not saying here that that what's, what's said in verse 10 is command from God, but in verses 12 and following is just his opinion. No, Paul knows that he also is, is giving words that are authoritative from God. Simply what he's doing there is he's saying, this is... In verses 10 and 11, I know that Jesus directly spoke on this, so let me give you what Jesus said on this. But when he comes down to 12, there was, there was not any, um, any case that he was aware of where Jesus had specifically spoken to a believer being married to an unbeliever. Jesus, there, there were no marriages between believers and unbelievers in that day. Jesus hadn't directly spoken to it. So Paul then has to go on under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and give another word on it. Now, I don't have that prerogative today. You don't have that prerogative today. I can't say, uh, I, but not the Lord, and, and sell it to you as authoritative from God. God alone has that prerogative, and he chose to speak through certain men who've written the Bible, and it is closed there is no more word of God coming today. But this is not Paul saying, this is simply my opinion. Okay, So that's clarity there. 
Uh, second thing in here is uh, I just want to point out that there, there's a difference here when he says the wife should not separate from her husband and the husband should not divorce his wife. This is, this is what was going on in the culture. Um, and I'll, I'll give you a little bit more of this in just a minute, but the, the, the law of the day allowed for, uh, Roman law allowed for either a man or a woman, either one, to initiate divorce. But what was happening was largely when, when a woman wanted to divorce her husband, she didn't go through legal proceedings. She just left. She just, she just left and abandoned. Largely, a lot of times, because she, she didn't, in the society, she would not have been able to navigate the legal system. She didn't have an advocate that would stand really for her and with her. And the man did, and so he uses the, the term divorce for the man and separate for the wife, but he's really meaning the same thing. Both are terminating the marriage, okay? All right, so time in. Let's get back to it. Verse 12. To the rest I say, I not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. As it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? I, I want to give you a little bit of the background here. I started, and let me just give you a little bit more. In this passage today, Paul's writing a letter back to them in response to a letter that, that they wrote to him. They were asking for uh, permission to divorce. They wanted to be able to divorce their, their spouse. Uh, the, they lived in a culture where divorce was Easy, and it was common. Not unlike today, right? Divorce is easy, and it is common. That's the day that they lived in as well. I told you that Roman law allowed for either a man or a woman to initiate a divorce, and they could do so for any reason. In fact, they could do so without stating a reason at all. As I said, the woman oftentimes would just leave. Uh, The husband would just oftentimes find displeasure in the wife. Maybe the wife of his youth had maybe lost her figure that attracted him or or lost some of her beauty with age or or whatever the case may be, and he just gets tired of her. Maybe he sees some other young woman, and, and he's more attracted to her, and he can just write her a certificate of divorce and be done. This is the day in which they are living. Even in the Old Testament, in the civic law, uh, allowed for divorce, even in the case of loss of affection. If you just fall out of love, you just write a certificate of divorce. But it's important for you to know, for us to know, that while that is Old Testament civic law, God never affirmed that practice. God never affirmed any such divorce. Some here in Corinth believed that, um, that they could live holier lives by, as, as we saw in the first verse of chapter 7, abstaining or refraining from sex and or divorcing their spouse. Uh, particularly those who were already married when they were saved and their spouses didn't convert. This is what was happening in the church. These people were being saved, brought into the church, but their spouses were not, were not coming to Christ. And so you had these mixed marriages, these unequally yoked relationships the Bible calls them. 
They thought that they could be more holy, probably since Paul had taught that that their bodies were the temple of God, that they were members of the body of Christ. Some of them were using that as an excuse, thinking that if I'm a member of the body of Christ and I'm joined to one who is outside of Christ, surely this defiles me in some way. And so it would be better for me to break the relationship and leave. They thought they could live holier. And the reality is that in our day and age, let's be honest, and again, my aim is not to hurt anyone, but most of the time, divorce doesn't happen in our culture because someone thinks that it will make them more holy. Most of the time, it's due to a sinful path that they willingly are going to walk down. They've got the attention of someone else or someone else has their attention. They've acted on temptation and entered into a relationship and they willfully go down that sinful path with that seductress woman or that smooth-talking man and pursue divorce. Well, before, here's what I want to do today. Before we dive into our passage before us, I think before we can really talk about divorce and these real practical guidelines for when is it okay to divorce, some of you may be sitting here right now wanting to ask me, Pastor, when is it okay? When is it okay for us to throw in the towel? When is it okay for us to call it quits? Before we can get there, I think we've got to understand marriage. So let me give you this. Let's go back. I won't ask you to turn to all these. Maybe you want to be taking notes on some of these passages to go to them later. But first off, God created marriage. Genesis 2, 24, uh, the, the Bible says that after God makes Eve for Adam and he finally has this suitable partner, that there he says, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This is the picture of marriage. And it happens in the second chapter of Genesis, which largely is a restatement of the events of the first chapter. It's it's. Early, early, early on, first man and woman, God creates marriage. Jesus quotes this in Matthew chapter 19 when they come and ask him about this issue of divorce. Can a man divorce his wife for any reason? And Jesus says to them, Matthew 19, verses 4 and 5, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Notice the gender-specific language there. And said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. God created marriage. And he created it to be permanent. The language of permanence is there in this text. Matthew 19 verse 6, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. There's an idea here of Permanence. The, the, the word there is a word that can also be used to mean concrete. That this relationship, relationship is cemented together. That it is not easily pulled apart. You see this demonstrated in weddings. Uh, either with unity candles or, or with the mixing of, of you know, colored water or colored sand. And when it goes together, you no longer can distinguish the, the one from the other, but it's, it's brought together never to be separated again. Uh, last couple weeks ago, uh, Donald and Collier, uh, we, we had the uh, privilege to ordain Donald uh, Thomas, one of our former members, still actually a member here serving at a church across the way. 
His wife, Collier's grandfather, is a man named Jay Adams. And Jay Adams is world-renowned in the field of biblical counseling. And he's written volume upon volume upon volume uh, on uh, different, different topics and issues. And let me just read you this quote from Jay Adams. He says, If marriage were of human origin, then human beings would have a right to set it aside. But since God instituted marriage, only He has the right to do so. Marriage is an institution, which includes individual marriages, that is marriages subject to the rules and regulations set down by God. Individuals may marry, be divorced, and be remarried only if, when, and how uh, he says they may without sinning. The state has been given the task of keeping orderly records, etc., but it has no right or competence to determine the rules for marriage and for divorce. The prerogative is God's. We don't have a right to, to simply end something that God has created. Now, I know that right now in this room, some of you are angry with me. Some of you are feeling guilty and hurt right now. But we don't have a right to do that. Because God made it. And God made it to be permanent. God also designed marriage to be a covenant And when a man and a woman, particularly two believers, when two believers come together and they they marry, they join their lives together, it is not simply them joining their lives together, but it is God making them one. There is a spiritual union that actually takes place between a man and and a woman in marriage. But when a man and a woman terminate that and go separate ways, it tells a lie about our covenant keeping God. It says to a world that is watching, who knows that that we are believers and followers of Christ, they they claim that God will save them, but I'm not so sure that He can based on the fact that they couldn't even stay committed to one another. It tells a lie about our covenant-keeping God. We live in a day of bloodthirsty divorce lawyers and and, um, prenuptial agreements before going into marriage. This tells a lie about our covenant-keeping God. So God creates marriage to be permanent and to be a covenant. It is a picture of His relationship to the church. Secondly, God hates divorce. God hates divorce. Malachi 2.16, this is one of the most difficult to translate verses in all of the Bible. In fact, if you have the ESV, it's going to sound different than what I'm going to read to you. I'm reading to you the translation from the New American Standard. It's one of the, one of the few times I'm straying away from the ESV because I think the New American Standard does a better job of capturing here what's meant. Um, Malachi 2.16 says, For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. And him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts. So take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. God hates this. Well, what does it mean that God hates divorce? What is it about divorce that causes God to use such a strong word? We don't like to think of God talking about hate. What is it? Well, one thing is God hates the cause of divorce. God hates the cause of divorce. And I should have said this at the beginning, should have said this up front, but a lot of what I'm sharing with you today I took from an outline from David Platt at Brook Hills. But, But this is part of what he says here, is that God hates the causes of divorce. 
Another verse that you'll want to write down and then go home and look at later on. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4 says this. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes, otherwise, in other words, he marries her, but then he just sort of loses interest in her. I mean, he's found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house. And if, he, if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies who, who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. We see in this passage here two men marrying the same woman, divorcing her, she marries another man, he gets tired of her, the Bible says he hates her and divorces her again. God hates this. God hates what sin, selfishness, and pride does. Sin always leads to destruction. Sin leads to divorce here in this setting. And this man simply gets tired of her. He finds some indecency in her. He hates her. Matthew 19, verse 8, back to that passage we were in just a minute ago. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? They come back at Jesus and say, Jesus, but you're disagreeing with Moses. Moses did this. Why did he do this? And Jesus' answer is very blunt and to the point. He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. Hard-heartedness and lack of submission. And I know that every divorce does not happen because of these types of things. Things, selfishness and pride and hard-heartedness and lack of submission. But if we're honest and look around, a lot of divorces do. And a lot of divorces happen because of sin in the relationship. Um. Marriage is, let me just remind you of this, marriage is the union of two sinners. So if you're going into a marriage thinking that this is going to be the perfect marriage, you're mistaken. If you are, if you are yet to be married and you're looking for that perfect person to spend the rest of your life with, just get ready to be single. Because there is no perfect person. You're not perfect. You're bringing your baggage and your sinful heart into the picture. And they're bringing theirs into the picture. And when you come together, you will butt heads and you will disagree. And there will be all sorts of things that you will have to work through. But marriage is this covenant to one another to work through our sinful desires, our prone to wander with each other. God hates the causes, but he also hates the consequences. Uh, Malachi, that, that verse we started out with, Malachi 2.16, well, the very context, the verse right before it, Malachi 2.15 says, Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one, what was, what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless, faithless to the wife of your youth. Um, we live in a day where many, many, many families have had to adjust and get, get used to the fact of being a divided family. Um, and we can say that the family can adjust, and, and I think they can probably relatively well, but the family does indeed suffer. The family suffers because it is not functioning according to God's original design. 
God designed the family to work with a father and a mother committed in a monogamous relationship to one another in a lifelong relationship in the yielding, uh, the, the rearing, and, 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 the, and the raising of those children. Ephesians 5 Verse 22 through 32 also points out a, another consequence of divorce. Hang with me because I'm reading a lot of scripture. I know it's, it's, you know, day after the time change, y'all are sleeping anyway, reading the most scripture I ever have. But hang with me, we're going somewhere. Another consequence here is that the testimony of Christ and the church suffers. Ephesians 5, 22 through 32. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his, his, his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body therefore a man shall leave his father and mother there's that language again and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh this mystery is profound and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church this is a this is a clue here. This is not more than a clue. This is an instruction here that marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. The bridegroom and the bride. And God hates divorce because it tarnishes the reputation, His reputation in the gospel. When believers divorce, it says, well then I wonder if that whole church thing is a lie too. And the consequence is the testimony of Christ in the church suffers. God creates marriage. God hates divorce. Third, God regulates divorce. And this is where we'll begin to get back into our text for today. God regulates divorce. Two circumstances where God allows divorce. There are two in Scripture. Many of you thought there was only one, but there are two in Scripture. Now, is there important distinction here that God allows divorce. He doesn't command it. He allows it. The first circumstance where God allows divorce is in the case of unrepentant adultery. The word is porneia. It's the word for sexual immorality. When there is adultery in a relationship, um, God allows there. He says in Matthew 19, 9, And I say to you, this is Jesus talking, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. There is provision here. He says the same thing in Matthew 31, 5, chapter, chapter 5, verse 31 and 32. Except for sexual immorality. So there is an exception here. But I want you to remember that even in the circumstance of unrepentant adultery, divorce is not commanded. And you say, well, Pastor, that's real easy for you to say, standing up there, who've never had that come into your relationship with Lana. You're right, it is easier for me to stand up here and say this. And that's why I'm not telling you my words or my opinion. I'm telling you what Jesus says. Jesus says here 
that it is allowed, but it is not commanded. The gospel in our lives. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that sin was not the final chapter of your life? Aren't you glad that the gospel invaded your life? That grace interrupted your life? And that God didn't close the book right before you came to know Him as Lord and Savior? Aren't you glad that the gospel, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ makes it possible for God to continue writing the story of His grace in our lives? And what better, what better picture What better way for us to emulate our Lord and our Savior than in the midst of that? And please hear me. This is easier for me to say than for you to do. I understand that. But what better picture would there be for a spouse who has been cheated on, but that spouse who did the cheating is repentant, wants to work the marriage out, wants to do whatever it takes What a great picture for the spouse who was cheated on to say, it's not going to be easy. It's going to take me a long time. I'm going to not trust you for a long, long, long time. But by the grace of God, for the glory of Christ, I'm willing to work. Divorce is allowed, but it is not commanded. What a statement about our covenant-keeping God. The other... um, the other allowance, the other uh, circumstance where God allows divorce is in the case of unsaved abandonment. Unsaved abandonment. Now, let me back up before I go to unsaved abandonment. Let me hear, just hear me say this as well. That you may be at that position where you've been cheated on, you have worked and you have tried, and, and, and you're, you're there and, and you are ready to divorce. Or maybe you're sitting here and you're one who already has been through that situation. You already have divorced. You have remarried. Uh, Then let me tell you something. The Bible says there is now no condemnation for you. Okay, so don't feel that weight of guilt if your divorce was in a biblical way. Jesus here says, "This this is one reason why I will allow this. Unsaved abandonment. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, back to our passage this morning in verses 12 through 15. I'll try to hurry as I go through this so I can get to some application. But in 12 through 15, he says quite a few things. One, he says, if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever. or Then he goes on and he says, if, if any woman, meaning they're a sister in the Lord, has a husband who is an unbeliever. What he's talking about here is a believer who is married to an unbeliever. And this is the case I started out with. That they've come to know the Lord. They're in the church, but they were married before. Their, their spouse did not convert to Christianity, so now they're in this thing by themselves. Paul says, if you, if you have a spouse, I wanted to point that out to you because a believer should never willingly enter into a marriage with an unbeliever. This is a case where this has... This has happened. They came to know the Lord after they were married. But if you're a believer here today and you're looking for a spouse, young people, if you're dating or you're wanting to go through this process, 
You need to be looking for someone who is godly, who is a believer. Because if you don't enter into that, first and foremost, your life with them, however long it will be, will be misery. You hear me? We're not to pursue relationships. In order for you to to find the right kind of person, one commentator said, you've got to first concentrate on being the right kind of person. If you will pursue your relationship with the Lord first, walk with Him, run hard and fast after Him, depend on His grace. We heard it years ago at a camp. One camp pastor said, "If if you will pursue Christ with everything you have and leave the other stuff alone, then sooner or later you're going to be running after God and you're going to look over and you're going to see a person of the opposite sex who's running right just as hard and fast along with you chasing after God and that's an ideal spouse if any believer has a spouse who is an unbeliever then he says if the unbelieving spouse consents to live with the believing spouse they should not get a divorce and he goes on he says because the unbelieving spouse is made holy by the believing spouse now what in the world does this mean This certainly cannot mean that if there is a relationship, a marriage, where there is a a, a believer married to an unbeliever, that the unbeliever is automatically saved through the faith of the believing spouse. There's no way it means that. If it meant that, then it would not refer to a believing spouse being married to an unbeliever. It would not be an issue. What this means is that you're there in a relationship and you're married to an unbeliever and, and some of you know this all too well. They don't want to come to church with you. They don't want to hear you talk about the gospel. Leave that Bible stuff out of, out of my life. You, follow, you do whatever you want to do, but leave me alone. You know that all too well. Paul says, if they're willing to stay in the marriage with you, then don't leave them. Don't divorce. Why? Because simply by the fact of you being in the relationship, you are God's grace to them. They have been set aside. Their salvation is not guaranteed, but they have been set aside in a way that God has given them a missionary in their own home. You get it? And he says the same thing about the kids. He says about the children there. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. It doesn't mean that they're saved automatically through their parents' faith. This has been twisted to mean this. We don't baptize infants because of this. A person is is saved when they turn from their sin and trust Christ personally. What this means is, though, even where there is an unbelieving father and a believing mother and the children are in the home, then these children are set apart in a special way Salvation not guaranteed, but they have a missionary that has been placed in their home to give influence toward the gospel over them. And oftentimes what happens is the the way this believing father or mother lives when compared to the life and the living of this unbelieving father or mother, then the children look and, and see this is a life that I'm drawn to. And they're opened to the gospel. God opens their eyes. But God says here, don't divorce if this unbelieving spouse is willing to stay with you. Stay right there. He says, if the believing partner, if the unbelieving partner, though, wants to separate, then let it be so. This is where we get this 
other allowance. In fact, some say that this is probably a command. That if you're a believer married to an unbeliever and the unbeliever cannot, you've come to, you've come to faith since you all got married and, and, and he now looks at your life and, or she now looks at your life and says, I just can't handle this. I got to get away from this. I'm out. And he says there, don't fight it. Let it be. Let it be so. And he goes on and he says, the believer is not enslaved. You don't have to carry that burden. They're, they're not, they're not going to carry that burden because God has called them to peace. If you are living, let me give you one exception. And this is where I say so many issues that I could deal with. And I know there are tons of questions in the room right now. But what about an issue where, where I'm living in a situation where I'm being abused? What do I do then? What, 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 I mean, am I supposed to just stay there? I mean, he's not cheating on me. He's not willing to leave me. What do I do? Well, this is a case where this is my opinion. This is my interpretation. Okay, so take this for what it is. But I believe in that situation, that abusive spouse has abandoned you, demonstrating their, they've walked away from their responsibility to husband you. You hear me? They're not loving you. They don't care for you. Now, I've got to be careful here because some of you will simply feel neglected in your relationship and say, okay, he's abandoned me. I'm out. But if you're in a situation where you are in danger, I don't think God intends for you to stay there. doesn't mean that divorce is automatic. Maybe, maybe things can be worked through. But if you're in danger, I believe that God would say he has abandoned you. Well, specific application from our text today, okay? All of that was to set up our actual text. He starts out in verse, verses 8 and 9, and he talks to the single, the unmarried, or the widowed. Some commentators say that that word unmarried there is a word that means widower. So some, some say he's talking to the, the widowers and the widows. Um, could be. But he could simply be talking to those who are single, or who are single again, even, who are, who are single again. He says to them, if possible, embrace your singleness. Maximize your singleness for the advance of the gospel. Embrace it. If, if God's given you that gift of singleness, Paul's going to go on and say that when you're single, you don't have a lot of the other distractions that married people do so that you can give more attention to the advance of the gospel in the kingdom of God. So embrace it. Use it. It may not be permanent. Some of you right now are, are, are young or, or maybe, maybe not quite so young anymore, but you're single again and you're thinking, man, i still got some good years left. I'd like to get married. Well, when God brings that person along, if he does, fine. But until then, maximize your singleness for the glory of God right where you live and among the nations. If you are currently single... Uh, but don't have the gift of singleness, he says in verse 9, if they can't exercise self-control, then they should marry. It is better to marry than to burn with, with, with passion. Pursue marriage. But while you're pursuing marriage, don't forget that God wants to use you even in your singleness. But he doesn't... It's a mark there that he's not given you the gift of singleness if you're constantly burning with passion. 
I mean, you know, you just can't seem to control yourself and it's showing up in other arenas, then marry, pursue that. Believers, believers who are married and considering divorce in this room, hear me say this, hear me say this, unless one of you has or is committing adultery, you have no grounds for divorce. Stay together. Now, that's hard for me to say. I don't know your situation, and you would say, you know, you stand up there behind, you know, that whatever this thing's made out of, and, and you say these things to us. You don't know. You don't know how hard it is. I don't. But I've been married 17 and a half, almost 18 years, and there's not been a day go by where I've not had to swallow some pride. And choose to love my wife. There's not been a minute go by that she has not had to choose to love me. We don't have the prerogative to set marriage aside. God says, unless there is the issue of adultery going on, then stay together. A believer married to an unbeliever who is willing to stay in the marriage. Paul says, stay together. Stay there. If you're a believer, you've got an unbeliever who's a spouse, but they're willing to stay with you, stay right there. Your home's not going to be ideal all the time. You're not going to have a partner who's going to be able to discuss the sermon with you or the Word of God with you or, or, or chase after these things with you, but stay right there because you've been appointed as a missionary right there in your home. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if, if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Wives, you, ha- you who are living with an unbelieving spouse, you have a powerful and an important ministry. If you are in this room today and you are divorced for biblical reasons and you are still single then you are free to remarry or you are free to remain single. If your divorce was based on biblical reasons, then you are free. But your life is not predominantly for you, it is for Him. If you are divorced for unbiblical reasons, you look back and you say, Well, gosh, my divorce was not because of unrepentant adultery or unsaved abandonment. Mine was for some other reason. And right now, all this guilt and weight is on you, and you think, man, I just might as well go away. If you're divorced for unbiblical reasons and you have remarried this spouse, you may be thinking things like, does that mean that I'm in adultery at the present? Matthew 5.32, Jesus says, I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Does this mean that I'm in adultery right now? Does this mean that I should divorce my current spouse now? To which I would say, and I believe the counsel of the Word of God would tell you no. Because two wrongs don't make a right. If you're if you're divorced if your divorce was for unbiblical reasons and you're now married in, in to a believer and you're in this this relationship with them, the last thing that you should do is is again divorce them. 
Because remember, there is a spiritual component here where God joins two flesh, two flesh together. Two people together. So, so you can't separate what God has put together. You can't do that. All you can do is to go forward from here. You can repent. You can, you can cast it on the mercy of God. And remember that God redeems divorce. That, that it, sin is not the final chapter, but that He keeps writing. Amen? As I said in the beginning, I'll wrap up here. As I said in the beginning, I don't want to heap guilt upon you. I mean, I really, really, really don't. But neither do I want to show you hate by not confronting you with the truth. Understand that today, understand today that, that our God is the fixer of broken things. That He is the healer. That He is the forgiver. The gospel makes it possible for sin to not be the final chapter through forgiveness. And life in Christ, God can continue to write the story of his grace in your life. I want to, I want to pray for us. But after I pray, I want to just open the rest of our service up for whatever God leads you to do. Some of you in this room today, right where you are, you may be feeling tremendous guilt and weight. Don't carry that out of here. You don't have to. Jesus is the one who forgives. Some of you, um, right now, you may need to take your spouse by the hand and come and kneel across the front of this, this auditorium. Just with your spouse and just kneel there and maybe, maybe thank God for the faithfulness of these years or for what he's done in your marriage. Maybe you need to pr- need just kneel with your spouse and just ask God to forgive you of certain actions or attitudes, certain words. Maybe you need to kneel with your spouse and ask him to heal your marriage. Some of you may be on the ropes. Maybe this is a step where you come and you just say, God, we don't know where to go, but God, we're asking you to heal our marriage. Maybe you can come and kneel with your spouse and ask him to use your marriage to speak a powerful word about him and the church. Maybe some of you may want to come and pray for your future spouse. Some parents, some grandparents may want to come and just pray for the future spouses of their children or their grandchildren. And just before the Lord say, God, would you send them a godly spouse? Some of you may want to come and pray for him to use your singleness to advance the gospel. You don't have to come up here. You don't have to make a trip down the aisle and come to these steps, but it's open if you'd like to. Some of you may want to just stay right where you are. Some of you may want to excuse yourself out of the room and go sit in another room and pray. Whatever God leads you to, this is a sensitive issue and a topic that I have trembled over. But it is one that we desperately need to hear. Isn't it? May God be Lord of every area of our lives. Every area. All of our relationships, starting in our homes. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, as we open this time of response, God, I pray, Lord, that you would move in this place. God, that your word would be powerful. God, that you would speak. And God, that you would begin to heal marriages. God, that that there would be a bomb that would just be 
applied over every situation, every relationship, every person in here today. One that is comforting and healing. And God, that that would start as you move our hearts to repent and trust you. God, there may be some in here, Lord, that are going to have to take difficult steps. There may be some that, that are divorced for biblical reasons or unbiblical reasons, but are still single. And God, maybe you might move in their heart to go back and try to restore a relationship. I don't know. But God, I know that your word makes it possible. The gospel makes it possible for restoration to happen. So God, restore us. Bring us to you. Lord, where I've left things out, God, fill in the gaps. Where I've said too much, God, take that away. God, use this word, your word, for our good and for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.